Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for listening to the best Houston sports podcast. And if you're a first timer, we welcome you to the party. Robert, alongside co-host Stephen Kerr. And also with us for this one is the gentleman who started this podcast with me six years ago this week. RG Seal, did you get an anniversary present for me, RG? What's the deal? Wow, it is anniversary week. I didn't even know that. I'm just—I thought you'd be overwhelmed by the news that Punky Brewster and Saved by the Bell are coming back for reboots. <laughs> I was hoping for diamonds, paper. You know, what is six anyway? I don't even know. It's a six-year anniversary, huh? Yeah, I, I guess it's. Give me a gold glove. I don't know, just something like that, maybe. Yeah, I just remember when we first started off this thing, because I was with you there from the beginning, and so was Anthony Giggle. Let's not forget about him. We had like kind of a three amigos thing back then. But do you remember how bad that season with Gary Kubiak was in 2013 when he lost his job? The Texans started off 2-0 and and just went right down the, the chute right when we were doing that. And then, of course, the Astros were terrible then, too. So how the tide has kind of turned. I'm glad that there's a lot more excitement in Houston sports right now. Yeah, you can credit us. We single-handedly turned it around. The Astros were awful. Three straight 100 lost seasons. The Texans go 2-14 and 14 that year. But we got we got it back on track, and the Rockets— there was no James Harden at that point. So uh, just it, it was all Houston sports talk. We're, we're good karma. Yeah, there you go. Well, uh, Carlos Correa is back. Or, sorry, did I say back too loud? Yeah, maybe maybe a little loud. He might hurt his back again, but no, hopefully not. <laughs> <laughs> He's back in the lineup for sure. And uh, good to have him back. Yeah, I was just thinking with the news that Saved by the Bell is getting a reboot. As RG said, I'll let the cast speak for my feelings on Carlos Correa's return. I'm so excited! I'm so excited! I'm so scared! Jesse, Jesse. Yeah, that pretty much sums it up. I'm excited, but I'm scared, guys! <laughs> I think we're all scared. We, we're just going to hold our breath through the whole postseason, hoping his back doesn't give out. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much everybody on that roster, you want to just hold and keep your fingers crossed because that, you know, in any kind of athletic endeavor, when you're going for a title, it's uh, it often can come down to injuries. Yeah, I mean, with Correa, you know, I guess this is the way it's going to be for the rest of his career. I, I was thinking about this for next year, not sure about the plan for the rest of this year, but I figured, how about a Correa blueprint print for next year? And here's what you do. You put Kyle Tucker at first base. You move Yuli over to third base. Bregman's at shortstop. And Correa is protected in a bubble until September, like Costanza's arch rival on Seinfeld. Correa's the bubble boy. <laughs> bubble boy. All right. Bubble boy Correa. Okay. I, I don't I don't know how else to do this, RG. What what do you do? Yeah, well, I mean, I think first of all, I mean, you just have to if you're the Astros, uh, I you know, I mean, first the the first thing is that he's healthy, he's back in the lineup, which is good news for the postseason run here in October. I mean, uh, the only thing the Astros are focusing on right now with Carlos Correa is can he get through the postseason? Can he help the uh, the Astros to win a championship? Then you come to the off season because he still has a couple of years towards pending free agency. Is he going to re-sign with the Astros? You know, maybe you look to shuffle your roster, what you guys have talked about previously. Do you make a long-term commitment to Carlos Correa? You know, George Springer is coming up at uh, next year. And to me, George Springer, with the season that he's had, the clutch hits, I mean, none of us probably who are speaking here tonight want to lose George Springer. But the Astros are going to have to make decisions because they've signed Jose Altuve to a long-term contract. They've signed Alex Berg, Bregman to a long-term extension. Of course, Justin Verlander for a couple of more years. Uh, Garrett Cole is coming up for free agency. Doubtville, they'll re-sign him, but they took on Zach Granke's contract. So there are a lot of question marks here, and the Astros can have a big decision as to what they do about somebody like Carlos Correa, especially if they want to re-sign George Springer to a long-term extension. Well, I think they're going to wait at least until next year before even addressing that. And, you know, if you're thinking of, if you could only sign one of the two, Correa or Springer, I think it's Springer in a landslide. I just I think Carlos Correa's health, he's going to have to demonstrate that he can play a full season because he just hasn't recently. Yeah, somebody's going to give him stupid money, and it's not going to be the Astros. And I think, you know, Correa's got a couple more years in Houston, and then he's gone. I mean, I, I don't know, would you guys deal him before then? I think we've talked about this a little bit, but any chance you would deal him before his contract's over, over with? I would deal him at least the year of, you know, again, just depending on what happens next year. I think that would be the 
that's going to kind of be my thermometer is what is he going to do all of next season? And then the season after, uh, if he still either is showing some health problems or just isn't as effective, then I would at least see what I could try to get for him at the trade deadline rather than just have him walk away from nothing. I agree. I mean, he doesn't come out for free agency for a couple of more seasons. Uh, So for coming up to this off season, you know, I mean, unless Jeff Luna was overwhelmed with some offer, uh, you know, the Astros could replenish the team and compete, but they're looking to win championships right now. They're going to be a title contender again next year. So they want to put together this nucleus that they've had. Carlos Correa is an essential part about it. I'm just saying, though, that I agree. If, if, if he is going to be dealt, it could be something like with a year remaining or coming down to the trading deadline. I mean, we're assuming the Astros would be in in, in contention. Uh, but, you know, I think that having drafted Carlos Correa number one overall, the commitment the organization made to him, he, he has been a outstanding individual in the community. So, I mean, there are a lot of things to, to factor in here. But if you're looking at you only have so many dollars to go around, how do you allocate them? And then you look at somebody like uh, George Springer with a contract coming up and some of these other guys that you may potentially want to sign to long term deals. And, and, you know, you just don't have unlimited money in baseball. There is a cap. <laughs> Even for teams like the Yankees with a repeater tax, you know, so you have to think about those things. So it definitely is going to come down to dollars and cents. And the Astros, they can afford to take their time and wait. I mean, they have some options in the infield. As you mentioned, Kyle Tucker is getting some looks at first base. I think you'll see more of that spring training next year and even throughout next season, provided, of course, that he continues to hit the way he does now. Abraham Toro has looked good. We don't know what's going to happen with Aledmus Diaz in the next year or two. He's had trouble staying healthy, but they do have some options. They aren't in any hurry to deal away Carlos Correa. I I just think it's a point where they can be in a wait-and-see mode. Let me ask you this question, RG, because you're the film buff here. And Can you think of a film uh, franchise that the first one was just terrible, but there was a great sequel. Like it, it was a bad first film. Well, usually if there's a bad first film, you're not going to get a sequel for it, but <laughs> usually it's a good film, a great film, like a Grease, and you have a horrible sequel. Right. Um, you know, I mean, I guess there've been some, some franchises that have gotten better as they've gone along. Like, uh, you know, the fast and the furious, I would say, you know, as you know, it was a good film with the first one, but I mean, it's become an absolute juggernaut now, as far as for people going to see it, maybe, you know, there's some horror franchises out there that maybe would, you know, have gotten better as they progressed. Uh, you know, I, I, off the top of my head, I can't think of something. But usually in Hollywood, in order to get a sequel, you, you can't be abysmal right out of the gate. Yeah, Kyle Tucker probably would not have had a sequel if he'd been in Hollywood. Not lot from last year, for sure. That's it. That's my point. But I like to bring this up, guys, a lot because, I mean, if you remember when, when Mike Trout first, who's the greatest baseball player is likely to to win another AL MVP this season. I mean, when he first came up, uh, he had 120 at bats, you know, he hit around the Mendoza line. I mean, he wasn't anything sterling with the angels when he first arrived and, and, then he caught like a house of fire. He's been just basically baseball's greatest player of this generation since. I mean, with all his AL MVP, he still hasn't had the postseason success. So the angels haven't been in the postseason much with Mike Trout, but I mean, come on this, you know, I, I think you have to have at least, you know, I mean, I know we've gone through the A.J. Reeds and the John Singletons, and maybe that's what's kind of like scared, you know, buyer's remorse here with the, you know, some of these uh, draftees. But, you know, you have to like at least see, you know, a good a good size of the major league at bats before you're really going to you know make a determination on somebody. And it's good to see Kyle Tucker having success, some success this time around. Looks like he's made the postseason roster. So if he has, do you use him as a pinch hitter for maybe a Robinson Chirinos or Martin Maldonado late in the game in a, in a postseason game? Or do you trust him? Do you trust him to come up for late inning, be the guy off the bench? I mean, I still think that determination, you know, whether he's going to even make the postseason roster because the Astros have some some decisions to make in that regard about what they want to do. Um, but I, I do think that what's been good about what you just mentioned with Chirinos and, and Maldonado of late is they've been, actually been hitting of late. Uh, doing a better job, you know, adding some offense there. So, you know, I mean, the thing about it, A.J. Hinge is going to have, you know, plenty of options when it comes to the postseason. And I think, you know, even off the bench, what what, what Kyle Tucker has been able to provide, I would like him as a, you know, power stick off the bench, yes. But I'd also like to have Miles Straw for his, you know, 
running and defense. And, you know, I mean, so they're going to have to determine whether they want, you know, for and you can change rosters with each division, with each round of the playoffs if you're, That's if right. you're lucky enough to advance. So they're going to have to decide, do we want 14 position players, 11 pitchers? Maybe you do that for the initial, you know, five five game series because it's a shorter series. Well, well, so- well, let me throw this at you. I mean, you tell me if he's not on the postseason roster because let, let's just pretend like it's only 13, but I think you're right. I think it's supposed to be 14 uh, really in the first round specifically because there's only five games and you're not going to need as many pitchers. Right. But let, let's right. say there is 13. Even if there's 13, tell me Kyle Tucker doesn't make it because you've got your, your eight regulars. Uh, so that's that, that's eight. You got obviously your Don, which is nine, and then you have Marisnik, which is ten. Uh, Aledmus Diaz, eleven. So even if you have Miles Straw, that still leaves another spot. And I would assume Kyle Tucker would get that spot uh, with how he's hit, as opposed to Abraham Toro, even though he's a switch hitter. But I, I think T- Tucker makes it if it's fourteen or thirteen. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Robert. I think really what it's going to come down to, you know, Miles Straw is going to be on there for pinch running, if if nothing else. I think it's going to come down to Toro and Kyle Tucker. And just with his power ability, and just I, I think Kyle Tucker will have the shot. The other part about it is, you know, like I said, I think the obvious place where you would need him, you know, as good as Martin Maldonado and Robinson Chirinos are hitting, and RG makes a great point there, but you might want to have a lefty when there's like a really good righty late in the game against Chirinos or Martin Maldonado, and either of those guys are, you know, they're they're not fantastic hitters as catchers. And so do you go to Marisnik? Well, no, he's not a lefty. Do you go to Aledmus Diaz? No, he's not a lefty. Uh, do you go to Miles Straw? No, he's not a lefty. I mean, you start running through your options and you quickly get to, yeah, Kyle Tucker would be the lefty in a, in a situation late in the game with Torinos or Martin Maldonado up to bat when you need a base hit and you want a lefty up at the plate, right? Well, I think that's true. And especially like if you have Torinos starting and you want some late inning defensive play behind the plate, you can always pinch in for him, Kyle Tucker, whomever, and then Maldonado could enter the game for the late innings. That's another possibility. Exactly. Uh, let me ask you about this. Brian Abreu, 0.86 whip, 188 batting average against. It's only in four appearances as we're talking at the moment. Is anybody re- ready to put him on a playoff roster? Well, you, you probably need to see a little more of a sample size, but man, his stuff is just so electric. That breaking pitch is just amazing. Yeah, if he keeps it up, yeah, I, I think he could he could be the Josh James from last year of kind of the surprise pitcher that kind of came out of nowhere to make the postseason. We're assuming Ryan Presley comes back, correct? And hopefully, yes. you know, that fingers crossed he comes back and is healthy because he's a dominant reliever if he's healthy, or at least he was until he got injured. And then you have, uh, you know, Roberto Osuna, you have Will Harris, then you have Josh James, then you're like talking about, okay, who else, Brad Peacock, you want to have on the roster? So, I mean, you start making all these decisions, it gets down to that last player, too. And we're talking about if they go with, you know, only 11 pitchers in the in the five-game series because we're talking about the 14 roster uh, position players or they go with 12, you know, 13-12 alignment and they take 12 pitchers. So it's going to come down to a lot of those things. And I, I really think these last two weeks, it's always pretty much wide open. It's, I mean, I forgot about Rondon there. I mean, we, we scoff at that, you know, and he's up and down and people are probably slapping their heads or Chris Devensky or some of these others. But, you know, I mean, all these guys are going to be per- competing for those last bullpen spots. We saw that last year. Guys, I mean, Rondon was a closer at a point l- last year, uh, you know, and then all of a sudden, you know, he's not on the postseason roster. So, you know, you had those kind of like decisions made. So it's, I think that's what these last two weeks are. Yeah, the, really- the Brad Peacock thing is, is to me, it's still very up in the air. It looks like Presley's going to be back and, and they're, they're going to desperately try to get Presley back in time. But if we're talking about 11 relievers and seven yeah. or seven, 11 pitchers, seven relievers, then you, you got Osuna, you got Will Harris. Joe Smith has been one of the best relievers that they've had over the last couple of months. Uh, Josh James, you would assume, would be in the mix there. And then, uh, you know, then Rondon, I'm even putting on the roster. But Peacock, I just don't, I don't know if he's going to be ready. And if Peacock's not ready, I don't know if I 
want to go with Chris Davinsky over somebody with the arm of a Brian Abreu. Yeah, I mean, I yeah. think that Brian Abreu is going to be, I think that Stephen also, when he mentioned that just a small sample size, I think that's part of it too. So, you, I mean, you have to, that's why these last two weeks are important because, you know, he's looked really good. He's got great stuff, but you want to see him in certain situations and late games, tight games. How does he come in there and pitch? You know, I mean, and, and we haven't mentioned Framber uh, Valdez. We haven't mentioned uh, Urquidy. We haven't mentioned some of these other ones that the Astros have on the roster, too, that could potentially factor into that. I mean, there are a lot of arms, and it's those last two or three spots really are going to come down, I think, to the guys who are pitching best, you know, these last uh, the last week or two of the season. Well, I think Brad Peacock is the wild card. If, if he doesn't come back, I think you might you could definitely see someone like a Brian Abreu or even a Jose Urquidy. I, I just don't see Framber Valdez. I know they keep... They keep throwing him out there. I guess they, they keep hoping that he will find the mojo because, you know, he is a left-hander. And that and that's it, the one thing. There's always that, okay, well, if we're in a certain matchup, but the Astros have a pitcher like Will Harris who can come in and face left-handers really good against right. left-handers. You know, so, I mean, they have mix and match. But, again, it'll also depend on the opponent because it'll depend. The Astros, heavily analytic oriented as we know but it'll, it'll depend on who they go up against and say well this this pitcher pitches better against this team they're weighted this way with the lineup we want to take this guy they're, they're going to take the automatic ones like osuna uh you know presley and josh james guys like that probably and, and of course and then they're going to look to round out with guys that okay how have they fared against this team do you have any faith that Co- we're going to see Colin McHugh? He's pitched terrible this year. Can they? No, rip- he's done for the season. I, I don't. No, is he officially done now? Okay, I, I hadn't. I had not heard that. It was going that direction. I, I had a feeling they were going to shut him down the way it was looking. He just he was way behind what Presley and Peacock were. So that doesn't come as any surprise to me. And hey guys, what do you think? It might be as the last time we see him as an Astro because he's a free agent coming up this season. So I don't know if the Astros will resign him. Uh, He's been great for the organization over the last several years, part of a championship team in 2017. But do you think that he's going to be on this roster next year? I I would tend to lean toward no. You got Lance McCullers is coming back. You have uh, Aaron Sanchez is going to be back next year. And you got him for a couple more years and, uh, you know, they're going to potentially lose Garrett Cole and potentially lose Wade Miley. So I, I don't know. It's going to be a numbers game. It's, I'd, I'd have to go through one by one through all the guys that they might look at. But yeah, it's 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 going to be a big question mark with him. Exa- exactly. All right. Rank these uh, four potential first round opponents from the team you'd most like the Astros to play to the team you'd least like the Astros to play. Twins, A's, Indians, Rays. Guys, this is like a game show, isn't it? It's like, <laughs> you know, MC here, like telling us what to pick the order of. Huh? Multiple are choice. There some, are there some prizes? Did you have some prizes here? Is there something behind door number one or door number two? Yeah, where's that new car we've been looking for, Robert? I'll get Jim Crin right on this. He'll, he'll have, a, he'll have a, a World Series ring from 2017 for you. It's on its way. Hey, that works. I'll take that. Um, well, as far as mine, the teams that I'd like the Astros to face most in the first round, if you'd asked me this a few weeks ago, I would have said the Oakland A's because the Astros were just dominating them 10 of the first 12 games. But uh, well, lately they've lost six of the last seven, and Oakland has definitely been playing. They, they've had the second-best record in baseball since June. So maybe not the A's so much. I would say the Indians and the Rays would probably be the teams that I would face the most and then Minnesota and then Oakland the least but having said that I don't think the Astros are going to lose in the first round I I think they are going to make it back to the ALCS no matter who they play yeah I I pretty much kind of echo your sentiments there Steve I I think with the Astros first of all I think they're a complete deep team they're going to win uh, 100 plus games again this season Uh, they've been one of the most dominant teams in baseball they should beat whatever team that they go up against in the first round. But, of course, we've seen crazy stuff happen in five-game series. A Absolutely. team can get hot. They can knock it out. We know that from 1998 ourselves when, uh, you know, hey, Randy Johnson, the 100-win Astros, and all of a sudden, you know, a hot Kevin Brown with the San Diego Padres pitches, you know, the Astros to, you know, go home early in the postseason. So, 
you know, it's crazy stuff can happen. We mentioned before about like with that that Orioles team versus the Detroit Tigers that had Scherzer, Verlander, and David Price. So I mean, they're they're crazy things that can happen in a five game series. But I just think the Astros are so complete from what you were mentioning about the lineup. They have one of the best lineups in baseball. They don't strike out much. They're a contact hitting team, which is good for the postseason. They have a deep bullpen. I know we've uh, complained about it of late. They have the best starting pitching to me, and they have good depth off the bench. So to me, this is a team that's well-rounded that can compete in the postseason. Now, asking about the four teams, I, I agree with what you know, pretty much what Steven said right there. Either, I I mean, I if, if the Rays have the pitching that's there with the, uh, you know, if they have Morton, Blake Snell, and uh, Gosnick, uh, Glasnow, excuse me. Glasnow. Yeah, I mean, yeah, their top three, that's a pretty, if they're at healthy, that's a pretty strong three to go against the Astros' top three. But their lineup is in no way comparable to the Astros' lineup. So, I mean, you know, that's where the Astros have the advantage there. But I always really respect the Rays and for what they're able to do. But that that matchup would be one that you would probably say, OK, that would be more favorable for the Astros. Just like what you said, too, as far as the uh, Cleveland Indians, because they're not it looks like uh, Corey Kluber's not coming back. Looks like Jose Ramirez, even though he's making strides, you don't know if he's going to be there. So their lineup's not the same. They're not, I mean, Terry Francona always does a great job, but you can't say, you know, this upcoming postseason, they're the same team that, you know, has been there the last few years, especially if Kluber's not going to pitch and you just have Clevenger and, and Bieber there really kind of leading your rotation. And it's Carlos Carrasco is a great story out of the bullpen. Uh, they do have a better bullpen than in years past, but but still, uh, I would favor the Astros heavily in that series. And then, you know, the Twins now that's an interesting matchup because they have a lineup that can absolutely mash. You know, that Polanco uh, got Nelson Cruz, Rosario. So I mean, that's a team that you just don't. I I mean, that lineup and the way that they hit home runs and the way the Astros are susceptible to home runs. But I think I agree also with what Stephen Kerr, you were saying there about the uh, the A's because, you know, they've had the Astros number of late, but they're also a very complete team. Now that they have uh, back at the leading the rotation, Sean Manaya, they have, uh, you know, Homer Bailey's pitch well for them. Mike Fires had, had really been on winning streak until the Astros got to him. But they, they seem to match up well with the Astros. You know, they have a good, a very strong lineup. And their bullpen has been good, too. You know, not what it was last year, but it's been very good. And they have an excellent manager. So for that reason, I, you know, I'd shy away from those two teams. So definitely would prefer either Cleveland or Tampa Bay in the first round. Yeah, the weird dome the Rays play in has been a house of horror for the Astros. So I'll stay away as far away from them as possible. The Astros handled the Indians last year pretty easily. They don't have Michael Brantley this year. The Astros have Michael Brantley. They don't have Trevor Bauer. Give me the Indians as maybe the the number one. I'll take them number one. The A's and their pitching staff and their ballpark don't scare me. So I even with Manaya, so I I would say number two for them. And then the Twins can bomb with the Astros. So I'll put them at number three. But you know, you guys saying, well, the Astros are better than all these teams. Sure, I agree with you. But uh, can I introduce you to 1998? Uh, it just takes one one great hot starting pitcher in a five game series to to get you a couple of wins and just shut a team down, and we saw it happen in Astros history. I agree with that, obviously, but the, here's something that this Astros team has that the 1998 team doesn't have, and that's experience going deep in the playoffs. A lot of these guys were here in 2017. They they almost did it again last year. They're hungry. They want to get back to the ALCS and get back to the World Series. So I, I just think it, it, it certainly it could happen. There's no that's why you play these games on the field. And especially in a five game series, it it's more apt to happen, happen, I think, in the first round uh, than it is later on. So, no, it, absolutely. This is not a shoe in by any means. But I just think not only is this Astros team loaded, but provided they get through the rest of the season without any more injuries, they're getting most of their players back and they just have that experience of going all the way through the playoffs and they want to get back like they did in 2017. I'll take Billy Wagner over Roberto Asuna though, speaking to 98. Roberto Asuna is kind of like, that's a guy we're going to have to watch in the postseason because uh, I mean, again, that's why Ryan Presley is so important because he's a guy you can slot into closed games. If you get any kind of shaky 
uh, outing from Roberto Asuna. But I mean, I, I, getting back to what you were saying about like the Tampa Bay uh, and with them, look, I ha- again, I have a great amount of respect for Tampa Bay. But I mean, if you look at the Astros lineup, I mean, Jordan Alvarez wasn't in there at the beginning of the season. The Astros pretty, I, they, they have had problems at Tampa before, but I just think, you know, going for a championship, if you just look, stack the Astros lineup against the Tampa Tampa Bay lineup, I mean, Tampa just, it's not, you know, even in the same stratosphere there, you know, taking nothing away from them, you know, so that's just something, the Astros have the pitching that can match up with that, and they would be tough because it, it could be one of these 0-0-1-1-2-1 games, you know, you never know what could happen there, but I, I just feel like the way the Astros are going to be able to ground grind out at bats, Blake Snell's coming back from time off. So is glass. No. So it's like, I don't know how deep they can go into games. So then you'll be going to the bullpen, but you just have to, when you get to the Astros, you've got to go through Springer and then now Correa is back in the lineup and Altuve and Jordan Alvarez and Alex Bregman and Yuli Gurriel. I mean, it just, it doesn't stop. And he's, you know, so that's just something I really feel like for the postseason, as long as the Astros are healthy, you know, that's why it's such a dynamic lineup. Over the last decade, there are the play, these are the players that have posted an OPS of 999 or better and a strikeout rate below 13% in a season. Joe Maurer in 2009, AL MVP, Albert Pujols in 2009, NL MVP, Albert Pujols in 2010, Miguel Cabrera in 2011, Joey Votto in 2017, and Alex Bregman in 2019. Steven, since the All-Star break, Bregman leads the majors in OPS with an 11-14 mark minimum, 100 plate appearances. I'm going to let you take it from there. You got a question for us, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. Who should win the most valuable player? Should it be Trout or should it be Bregman? Now, as of a week ago, before Trout went out, he had all 38 first place votes among writers and reporters who were surveyed. Uh, Bregman had all 38 second place votes. But with Trout being out, you know, that that might change a bit. I I still think he's going to win. Some voters might be swayed by that and might be swayed by Bregman. Do I think Bregman should win? Absolutely. But this is where I have such a problem with most valuable player awards versus, say, player of the year. You know, the the stat lines are pretty close between Trent and and Bregman, or Trout and Bregman, I should say. But here are some here are some definite reasons that Bregman should win. He's played more games, even before Trout was sidelined for the rest of the season. Plus, you don't see the NFL or NBA doling out MVP awards to great players on losing teams. Now, something Richard Justice pointed out on an article last week for MLB.com, Bregman's had to move around in different positions throughout the season just because of injuries to the Astros infield, Correa, Altuve, and so forth yet he is still producing at the plate. So you could argue versatility equals value, something that, that Trout also doesn't offer. So those are those are my takes on why Bregman should win the MVP. See, I, I love Alex Bregman, great player, all that, but I have to disagree here. Okay, I mean, this is Mike Trout. I knew you would, RG. That's, <laughs> that's why no, I, I went first. Because, look, I, you know, I know you can – he can't do anything about the team that he's on with the pitching staff. With the, But look at the lineup that he has. Around. We just mentioned with the Astros, you know, I didn't even mention Michael Brantley. But they've had you, Yuli uh, Gurriel with a hot streak here. You've got, like, Carlos Correa. You've got uh, – George Springer, you know, you have all these different guys around in the lineup. So wherever Alex Bregman is batting, he's got some protection. So he's going to see some pitches, although he's done a marvelous job is, you know, strikeout and base. Uh, based on balls ratio. But if you look at the Angels lineup, I mean, come on. I mean, there's the, you know, I mean, Justin Upton's been out. I mean, you've got kind of a, you know, a declining Albert Pujols in the lineup who's a shell of a forward self. I mean, what do you want to say, Cole, Cole Calhoun? I mean, none of them are superstars what the Astros have. The guy, he every single night he has to play out there, he's the target. Don't pitch to Mark Mike Trout. And yet he's put up these amazing numbers again. I mean, he leads the league, you know, and, uh, like, like you said, that's why he's had all these unanimous first place votes. But I can see the argument for Alex Bregman. He's been great. Like you said, the versatility and all of that. But if you're just comparing him and saying, would you vote for Mike Trout? Would you vote for Alex Bregman this year? My vote would have to go to, and I'm sorry, Houston fans. Uh, I love the Astros, but I, I'd have to give it to Mike Trout. But that's why I just feel like the, the most valuable player award is so ambiguous. It, it's 
you know, there are just so many variables you can look at and, you know, we could argue all day about it. A player of the year, you stack them up together. Who's had the most outstanding year regardless? I mean, if you take Mike Trout off the Angels this year, they'd be 40 games out of first place instead of 30. Now, granted, if you took Bregman out of the Astros lineup, the Astros would still be in the playoffs, but I don't think they would be in the running for the best record in the American League, certainly. They, they would be knocked down a peg without his bat and his defense in the lineup. And this is kind of the thing, you know, I mean, back in the day, remember when uh, Alex Rodriguez won the most valuable player award with uh, the, you know, Texas Rangers and he was on a terrible team. And, you know, we've had this with Mike Trout here the last couple of years, too, where winning uh, MVPs on non-playoff teams. I mean, yeah, that's one of the things that you're always going to, you know, talk about is, is, is this is this player, uh, I mean, John Carlos Stanton that one year that he won for the uh, the Marlins, they didn't make the playoffs. Uh, and then he was traded in the offseason to the Yankees. So, uh, you know, I mean, most valuable players sometimes, yeah, that gets back to the meaning of the award. Is it is it the team that is it the person that helps contribute to the team that wins the most? So then you, you then do you just look at it as a as an award that just goes towards teams that win? And and then just, you know, discount what somebody might have an amazing year. I mean, I remember when we were growing up, Robbie, too, when we were watching like Andrew uh, Andre Dawson that one year with the Cubs, right, when he won the NL MVP and, and the Cubs were a terrible team that year. I mean, it's been one of those age old questions, chicken or the egg, right? Should you award the most valuable player to a to a player on a team that's terrible or should you award it to a, a you know, that might not have the stellar numbers of that that player that you know is MVP caliber there, but is on a much better team. I mean, it, yeah, that's a good point to raise, Stephen. I'm not discounting that. It's just that you know it gets back to what the meaning of the MVP award is. Yeah, but that's why the NFL and the NBA they may not always get it right as far as who gets the award, but they at least get it right as to the type of player that's getting the award and, and the, the team is is I can't remember the last time they handed an award to a team that wasn't either a playoff or championship caliber team in either league. Well, you guys are all wrong because if the Astros have the best record, then you go with the most feared player on the most feared team. And the most feared player has a pace of 53 home runs, 158 RBIs. He's got the best OPS since he's been in the major leagues in early June the answer to every Astros question, you guys know this, it's Jordan Alvarez. There's your MVP, baby. <laughs> well, I, you know, it's hard to argue, but then you could also throw somebody else in the mix, and that is a former MVP, Jose Altuve. If you look at since July the 2nd, he's been playing like an MVP. His slash line is 336, 385, 619, 18 homers a 1.004 OPS in his last 64 games. So, you know, if the MVP award was for half a season, it could be a race between Alvarez and Altuve. And Bregman. And Bregman. <laughs> well, I think I know who you guys are going to select for the uh, rookie of the year then. There's no question about that. <laughs> yeah, that has to be a shoe. I don't know if the Texans fans are paying attention, but the AFC path uh, – is clearing up for the Texans just a bit. Roethlisberger and Luck are now both out of the picture. You can make an argument now that Deshaun is the fourth best quarterback in the AFC at this point, when you've got Brady and Mahomes, obviously, uh, way up there at the top. Uh, the Texans didn't have to face the Super Bowl quarterback this past week with the Foles injury. He's moved up in the pecking order uh, for sure. I'm saying uh, Deshaun has moved up in the pecking order. Uh, Cam Newton may not start for the Panthers this week with a foot injury, which puts into question uh, Cam Newton for the Texans game a week from Sunday. Either way, he's not been good this year. So that's another uh, easier part of the schedule, I think, than we thought. The Chargers are missing for this week's game. They're starting tight end, starting tackle, starting running back Melvin Gordon, one of the best safeties in the game, and their number two wide receiver. So... Man, the path is just clearing a bit. You can see like uh, sort of a light between all the trees and stuff like that with the schedule, Stephen, that we thought was going to be murderer's row. Well, this is exactly why you, you look at it on paper and it looks tough. But once you get out there, things can totally change on a dime. And it's almost like, yeah, these teams are gift wrapping a division title 
and going deeper in the playoffs for the Texans, now all the Texans have to do is take it. We're still trying to figure out what kind of a team we're looking at. You know, in game one against the Saints, they they played pretty well, only to lose. And then they come home and don't play quite as well and just barely win. So I think next week in L.A., with it being on the road, we're going to find out a little bit more of what this Texans team is made of and whether Bill O'Brien can actually learn how to clock manage, whether the offense can pick up the blitz, whether the running game can keep going, the offensive line can gel a little bit better. So while there's still a lot of question marks, you're right, Robert, the the path, it, it's like they're shoveling snow out of the driveway. The Texans can can get out, even though it's not snowing right now. <laughs> Uh, Archie, you wrote a great article for our website, HoustonSportsTalk.net, where you kind of explored this question. Which Texas team would you take over the next five years, the Texans or the Cowboys? Was this a hard question for you to answer, Archie? Well, it was a hard question just because I was hoping that I could, you know, come out and say the Texans would be a better team. So, I mean, I, uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, I think I kind of gave the spoiler away there. Why, why do you think the Cowboys are the, are the team of the next five years if you're going to take, take one of them? Well, let me just first of all say, like I, I wrote in the article, if people want to go there and read it on the HoustonSportsTalk.net, that, uh, you know, as long as you have a contending quarterback, as we know from the Texans over the course of their franchise history, when they did not have a franchise quarterback, every season was how can we fill out the rest of the roster for our mediocre quarterback and somehow make a playoff run. So as long as you have Deshaun Watson there, your five years are going to be pretty rosy as long as he can stay healthy, stay on the field and do what he's shown so far. In the NFL, he's been phenomenal. So, I mean, that is uh, a, a good part about why the Texans, you know, at least you can be excited about them in the future. But then again, it's the Texans. So going to the Dallas Cowboys, I, I hate to do this because, you know, both Robbie, we grew up and, you know, we didn't like the Dallas Cowboys. And, I still and neither did I, by the way. Still, yeah. <laughs> and still don't. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, there's always that Houston-Dallas rivalry. But uh, I just look at, I just look at a lot of their skill position players. They've done a great job. Look, first of all, their offensive line, you win in the trenches. Uh, you know, so they've, they've been able to build, you know, a, a, they have their big three again, like when they had Aikman, Irvin, and uh, Emmett Smith. They've got Dak Prescott. They've got Ezekiel Elliott, now Amari Cooper. And, and Michael Gallup started off the season very well. I mean, this guy is also really good at wide, at wide receiver. So, I mean, they have that, and they have a great offensive line. So, I mean, that Travis Frederick, the Zach Martin, uh, you know, Connor Williams, Tyron Smith. I mean, they have just a really good offensive line, and we all know about the Texans' problems. I know they got Lermy Tunsil, but it just seems to me that they, you know, much better line. Then you look even on, you know, on the defense, and, you know, they have one of the best pass rushers in the game there with uh, Demarcus uh, Lawrence, and then you have – you know, they've got depth on the defensive line, you know, so they play a, a, a 4-3. The Cowboys are a little bit different than the Texans there. But, um, you know, they, they uh, also have two all-pro caliber line linebackers uh, when you're looking at Jalen Smith and, and Leighton Vander Esch. And then you're even looking at like a, a you know, a lockdown corner uh, that they have there with Byron Jones. And then they've got Xavier Woods at safety. And, I mean, I like even what, you know, a woozy there at at, at what the other cornerback position. I mean, we know the Texans have problems at cornerback. So if you're just looking at the overall talent on the roster, it's young on the Cowboys. They seem to have done a much you know better job of like drafting over the years. We made fun of Jerry Jones for years in the way that he kind of like drafted the team there as the owner GM. And he was just a, a nincompoop. And, you know, since he has worked with the scouting department and Stephen Jones has taken a greater role in the organization. Uh, I mean, the Cowboys, that's when they started to rebuild. They said, we're going to build the offensive line. We're not going to trade away picks like we did before and, and try to get the glamour positions. We're going to build up the trenches and they have really good offensive line and defensive lines. And again, that's to me how you win in the NFL. And, and they have and they do have some great players and they have, you know, so, I mean, it's just uh, they're very, very solid all around. So that's why if I'm a betting man, I pick them, even though I if you look at the quarterback position, you know, Dak Prescott's really good. But I'd rather take Deshaun Watson. And that's hard to argue with. And RG, if I counted rec- correctly, you had 11 categories that you ranked the two teams in and seven of those 11 went to the Cowboys, including the skills positions and the front office, which I, I think are two of really 
very important ones. The coaching you gave to Bill O'Brien, that was very generous. Of course, you know, that's a toss-up. That's a coin flip either way, right? And that's like choosing between two bad – it's like choosing between anchovies and sardines, you know, or something. I I don't know. I did like – yeah, I was like – too too mediocre to bat, you know. I know we make fun of Bill O'Brien, but I had to choose one of them, uh, you know, Bill O'Brien and Jason Garrett. And Jason Garrett's had some also head scratching moves over his coaching career and been on the hot seat. So it's not like I was, you know, it's not like it was an obvious choice here. Okay, picking against Andy Reid or Bill Belichick or anything. So I and I just felt like at least Bill O'Brien's been able to win some AFC South divisions, get the most out of like kind of a position when he didn't have a quarterback, was able to somehow motor through a season, keep his players up while, you know, Jason Garrett's had Tony Romo and, and Dak Prescott there. So it's made it a little, his job a little bit easier as far as to to, uh, you know, have a winning team, in my opinion. So that that was why I went that way. But I know I'll get criticized. as How could you pick Bill O'Brien? He's like absolutely terrible. But uh you know, I didn't pick him for the front office because he's basically your front office. He's wearing all the hats right now. I mean, I, I think if he could go out and play quarterback, he'd play quarterback, too. <laughs> but that's probably why you picked the Cowboys front office, though, right? Is because Bill O'Brien is handling all the front office. Yeah, teams. I mean, right is now, Texans not having a GM and with a structural organization as we know it. Correct, guys. I mean, what do you think? I mean, uh, I just I, I had to give the nod to the Cowboys as much a, a, a instability as they've had over the years. Yeah, you look at uh, Jerry Jones as an owner, and he has finally sort of given over his uh, GM job and let them make decisions and let them make the football decisions. And that's the difference is he's got somebody, it's his son, I guess, Stephen, that's making the decisions and uh, doing a good job with that. And the Texans still don't have anybody in that place where you would trust over the next five years to put the together the the team and a team that's going to win a championship. And normally you would go with the quarterback and maybe I give a slight edge to Deshaun Watson, but I don't think it's as big as some people in Houston might think. I mean, I, I we talked about this, Steven, uh, you know, when you look at Deshaun Watson, it, it's still so much a mental uh, thing with him. Whereas, you know, I, I don't know if Dak's that much better than uh or, or that much better than him mentally but it's so close that you start having to include every other thing and every other thing is pretty much the cowboys when you start going down the list yeah i'm not sure it's a landslide if you're saying that deshaun is better than dak or vice versa i i think they are very similar at least in their mental approach and yeah i go back and listen to our last texans post game show uh and you'll you'll hear our discussion on why deshaun watson is Maybe not quite as elite that everybody's ready to give him just yet, at least on some levels. Well, and also at the beginning of this season, Dak Prescott's really looked impressive the first two games of the season. And, and uh, you know, as ever since Amari Cooper arrived there last season in the midseason trade, I mean, the Dallas Cowboys offense has been a lot more dynamic. Uh, teams just can't focus in on stopping Ezekiel Elliott. You know, you also got to be looking at their wideouts. Uh, and then they get Jason Witten back again this year. He already has a couple of touchdowns. So, I mean, he's got uh, more targets. He's got that offensive line. But let's not forget the same way looking at Deshaun Watson. He doesn't have the Cowboys offensive line. Uh, you know, uh, he doesn't have Jason Witten at tight end. He's He's got some, some you know, he's got, I mean, the Texans have some young players there. He does have DeAndre Hopkins. Hopkins, that's his security blanket, as you guys have mentioned. I just think with, you know, Deshaun Watson, he's so dynamic. I mean, people forget last year the guy was the quarterback for a nine-game winning streak that hadn't happened in Houston since Warren Moon way back in uh, 19, uh, what was it, 93, when they went on the Oilers, had that, what, 10-game winning streak and uh, had the 12-4 and record and lost to the Chiefs in the playoffs. So, I mean, and and he set the records his rookie season before he went down with a knee injury. So, it just, to me, he's just such an exciting player player and and we saw it in the new orleans game just to open the season here you know uh, i i know the texans ended up losing on a 58 yard field goal to end the game but i mean right before that are we forgetting what deshaun watson two passes touchdown puts the texans in a position to win that's the kind of magic that this guy has that's the kind of you know ability that this guy has that's why i'm excited about the texans my problem with the texans is it is the organization and it's the Texans and what way are they going to find to screw things up? And that's Bill O'Brien and that's just the organization. And I think a lot of people in Houston feel that way. Let me ask you this, because I don't think you put this in your piece, RG. Let's take a look at the division. Um, what about that? How much can you factor that into it? Because over the next few years, 
Uh, the Colts have got a question mark at Jacoby Brissett. We don't know. Is he good? Is he not good? Nick Foles, you know, he's missing all of this year. They got Garrett Minshew. Maybe he, he's he got some talent down the road. But what do, you, what do you have in Nick Foles as a starting quarterback for 16 games? We don't know. Uh, you look at the Jaguars organization, it's a total mess. Uh, the Titans, they're okay. Whereas if you go to the to the other, they've got the Giants with just garbage uh, at this point, they don't look very good, and it's going to take a while for them to rebuild. Uh, same thing with the Redskins. Uh, but the Eagles are going to be a perennial Super Bowl team with Carson Wentz. So you've got to go through the Eagles every year just in your own division where the Texans don't have anybody that you're like, oh, I'm scared about that team uh, for the next five years. Right. I mean, I was just looking at strength of team. Which team would I rather have to go up against like over, you know, and how the organization seems to be drafting how, you know, the players to kind of build around. But you make a good point there as far as the division, because, yeah, it's going to be. I mean, this year, the Giants, you guys probably heard that Eli Manning's like uh, already been demoted. They're bringing in what the Daniel Jones era there in in New York. And so, uh, you know, it's going to be interesting to, you know, that. But like you said, they've got Carson Wentz in Philadelphia, a a juggernaut there, Doug Peterson, the head coach, and they've already won a Super Bowl. So, uh, you know, that that is to me like, yeah, because you don't know with the Texans division are I, I mean, they do have a good front office now in, in Indianapolis and they have a really, you know, good GM and, and, and coach over there, it looks like. And, and so they're doing things the right way, but until they get that franchise quarterback, I don't think it's Jacoby Brissett. Uh, you know, that's something that's going to be a question mark. And then you have like, like you said, with Jacksonville, uh, you know, over the long term, and then even Tennessee, are they going to go with Marcus Mariota past this year? I mean, a lot of people already uh, speculating that might be his last season there if you know he doesn't turn things around and have a really really good season so because uh, you know they brought in Ryan Tannehill to back him up this year you know so if, if Brian Tannehill takes over for him at some point this season because uh, Marcus Mario is not performing or gets injured you know that could be the end of that era in Tennessee so they you know it, it just it, yeah like you said it's just I think that there's a little bit more uncertainty in the AFC South so that if you have a strong quarterback and organization you know you can there's a potentially a path there to have success and it's going to be tougher it looks like in the nfc east well if anybody wants to see the article again houstonsportstalk.net just go to the front page you'll you'll find it uh easy to find over there a couple last quick things on the texans Uh, i went over the last game one more time on the uh, dvr roderick johnson was better at right tackle than chantrell henderson but he's roderick johnson so you know just to something I was thinking about Steven and I believe at some point, maybe in a couple of weeks, we could see Titus Howard at right tackle and Max Sharping at guard. Now it might not happen until the uh, end of the year, or I mean going into next year or something like that, but I definitely could see that because I just, I'm not really sold that Roderick Johnson is a long-term answer at right tackle. And I think they want Titus Howard at tackle, if not sharpening at right tackle at some point. What do you think? Yeah, he's probably not. And I think that's one of the reasons you saw in training camp that Titus Howard was getting reps at tackle and guard. And that's one of the reasons that Bill O'Brien has preached versatility on that offensive line the whole time. But, you know, one game, I, I mean, it's it's just hard to say. I'd, I probably want a little more sample size. And, you know, as, as we mentioned before, one of the reasons I think the Texans line is is taking longer to gel is because they have to keep tinkering with it because these guys just aren't stepping up. Yeah, it's musical chairs out there most weeks. And uh, just last couple of things on the Texans. Uh, good news here. Two Texans finished with an elite pro football focus grade against the Jaguars. DJ Reader with a 91 and then fifth round rookie Charles Amenahu with a 90 Grade out of 100, they finished fourth and fifth, respectively, among the league's interior defensive linemen. So that is a real positive. A man who in his you know, first real action in the NFL coming out in a big way. So you got to be happy about that. We talked about the draft choices not really doing anything the first week, but Titus Howard was starting this week and a man who showing out. So that's good. Uh, if you are a Trevor Daniel fan, the era is over, Stephen. You were right after all. Brian Anger is back, baby. Yeah, maybe he can inject some anger into that Texan special teams because <laughs> they sure need it after the first couple of weeks and all the mistakes they made last week. But 
I, I frankly, Robert, I was a little surprised that they cut Brian Anger at the end of preseason. I, I really thought that he had a shot to beat out Trevor Daniel. I mean, he they were pretty much neck and neck throughout the preseason, as I recall. So it did catch me a little by surprise that they didn't keep Anger. Maybe they told him, you know, just kind of stick around, Brian. Let's see what happens a couple weeks because, boy, it didn't take long. After two weeks, he's back. Are you happy about the quicker trigger, RG? This is quick trigger Bill O'Brien now. You, you you screw up one week and you're out of there. Yeah, no, I mean, I was kind of a little bit surprised by the Aaron Colvin just because they had uh, committed to him in free agency with the money up front. And yeah, like right now, I, not as much with uh, Trevor Daniel because like uh, Stephen was just saying, there was some competition in the camp there and he had uh, – uh, Brian Anger had looked, uh, you know – good during the preseason so yeah i mean it is kind of a little bit interesting we're quick to pull the switch and trigger i mean the bill o'brien era he's not waiting around anymore he's not you know it's not the uh patient you know rick smith uh you know days where you know you you hold on the guys for years and, and they can basically you know start collecting a pension with the texans yeah nick martin apparently he gets tenure he's tenured as a professor but Chantrell Henderson, Trevor Daniel, Aaron Colvin, they're not in tenure. They are history. So, yeah, he, he's hes a much much more uh, quick trigger Bill O'Brien this year with, with him in charge as the GM. And we'll see if that's good or bad. But I kind of agree with every one of those moves. They all make sense to me. And, you know, for some of those guys, I didn't really understand to begin with why Chantrell Henderson was such, you know, glued in as the starter. He's our starter. What You know, whatever. I mean, Trevor Daniel and Brian Anger, I, I don't know. It was like apples and oranges, whatever you like on a particular day. But uh, pretty interesting stuff with the Texans. Anything else, guys? Anything that I missed this week? Anything uh, that's been on your mind? Well, for me, just uh, the Texans, as far as their keys to victory, they got to keep the running game going. The Chargers have given up almost 300 yards in uh, two games. And uh, obviously, much fewer mistakes, particularly on special teams and get that uh pick up that blitz offense pick it up one thing that they're not gonna have to worry about too much is a, a much of a home field advantage with the chargers because rg there, there isn't a home field advantage is there out there <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean they play down in carson and yeah you're right about that usually it's a visiting team and i'm sure that there are gonna be a lot of texans fans coming out to southern california to enjoy a it will be an autumn weekend, but it will really be a summer weekend. Come on, it's California. So, yeah, there will be a lot of people that will be spending their time between the beach and uh, going to a Texans game. What about that Texan fan right there? RG, you going? <laughs> <laughs> maybe. It's a maybe at this you're point? You're noncommittal. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I have other plans, unfortunately, that day, but I will uh, be keeping tabs of the game. Well, let's hope the Texans aren't as uh, noncommittal as you are, RG, and they show up. Yeah, definitely. And uh, I'm looking forward to that one. We'll, we'll talk to you in a few days with the post-game show. But uh, thanks a lot, guys. Good to have you back, RG. Oh, thanks for having me. Enjoyed it. Thanks, Stephen. And uh, we'll talk to you again in a few days. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Don't forget to follow Houston Sports Talk on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, the Google Podcast app, or the Stitcher app. You can support us by giving us a five-star review on iTunes or by telling your friends about us. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.